amen and amen. Listen, family, as you're taking your seats, won't you give Jesus a great hand clap of praise this morning? If you want to yell and say hallelujah, thank you, Father, you're more than welcome to do that because he is a great God. I'm not going to mess with you today because uh, typically if I was doing our offering message and you clap like that, I would say that's a great hand clap for me. But that's not quite adequate of the hand clap of praise and uh, uh, the voice that we need to give our Savior, our risen King, because if it wasn't for him, you would not have the ability to be sitting in this place today. And if you look around, I love seeing this view because we have all different ethnic groups here. And you may even have people with no money. You may have people with a lot of money. You may have people that have status and maybe people that don't have status, but we're all here collectively together. And I say that because when we were praying this morning, <coughs> excuse me, allergies, uh, before first service, Allison was praying and she was saying, Lord, please let us do unto others. And when she said do, I thought I heard stew. For one, I was probably hungry and my stomach was growling, right? But I heard stew and then I started remembering like how, how stew is made and the different types of ingredients that goes in the stew to make it what it is. And so I don't think that anybody would eat stew if I just came and had water and just chopped up onions and put it in it. Tara said, no, man. <laughs> Nobody wants onion water. But whenever you make stew and you have the water and you put the broth in it and you put the tomato juice in there and you put the, chop up the onions and the tomatoes and you put in the, the, the potatoes and the meat and all of, man, whenever that is done, everybody wants a little bit of it because stew together tastes good. And it's because of the different ingredients that goes into the stew. And so we're still in our sermon series today called My City. Last week, Pastor Rich talked about that we are a city on a hill and, and, and how we are the salt and the light of the earth. And because we are the salt and the light of the earth, that means that we are the salt and the light of our cities. It means that we are the salt and the light of our homes. We are the salt and light in, the, in our workspaces, and we are the salt and the light of our families. Listen, we are here to give flavor to the earth, and the flavor that people need is Jesus. We are here that when every situation gets dark, you should have so much Jesus and Holy Spirit on the inside of you that all of a sudden the light comes on and things start to change. We are a city on a hill. And today we're going to talk about <clears throat> a diverse city. We're going to talk about a diverse city. But I want to start by asking us a question. Have you ever been in a situation to where you tried your hardest to do the right thing to and for others. And your hope is for people to see that you are doing this for their benefit, even at your own expense, only for them to not appreciate it, while applauding others who don't care for them like you do. And even applaud some of those who potentially took advantage of them. Most of us can probably say, listen, brother, I've been there. I'm actually dealing with that situation Right now, and so this is actually the discussion of our conversation today as we continue our My City series. Next week, Pastor Rich will be back here 
um, and he will be talking about a connected city and how we are to be connected to our city. And so when we're talking about diversity in this diverse city message today, first I think there's a couple of things that we have to talk about, like what is diversity and what diversity is not. The Cambridge Dictionary says that diversity is the fact of many different types of things or people being included in something. I think the key word to that is being included into something. Diversity is not just about gender and about race, but it's about including them into where we are. And so I pulled up some stats, and I think this was like from 2017, from Data USA. And it's talking about our city, and it says that Abilene's population is about almost 123,000 people. It says the median household income, median household income is about $46,000. The median property value is almost $107,000. It says that 58.8% of people that live here in Abilene are white. 26.8% of people that live here are Hispanic or Latino. 9.78% are black or African-American. 2.05% are Asian. 1.86% are of mixed races. 0.538% are American Indian or Alaska Native. 0.163% are other races. And 0.228% are Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander. I don't know about you, but if... I look at that, man, that shows a great stat of diversity because you have people from everywhere. You have different, how, uh, different incomes. You have people that may not walk like you, may not look like you, but when we talk about diversity, we are learning that we should include everybody into our spaces. And I know that most of you are probably like, hey, John, listen, <clears throat> I'm comfortable where I'm at. I love being where I'm at. I love being around my, my own kind, not saying just color, but, but this difference, this socioeconomic group right here, I love being around that group because I'm comfortable with them. And, and I would love to say that for me, it's easy for me to tell somebody about Jesus who looks like me, who's the same color as me, who comes from the same background. That is easy. That's not hard for me to do. But God didn't call for Christianity to be easy. He called for us to rid ourselves of our selfishness, and to be unselfish. Listen, if I don't have really good friends or if I don't have who I consider family uh, that looks different than me, then I've missed the gospel. I've missed it so much. Listen, I I had a a guy that's in college uh, that I actually disciple. Doesn't look like me, different color. Uh, My background and his background are completely different. I'm about 21 years older than he is. He texted me this morning and says, hey, Pastor John, I'm so grateful to be under your leadership and to be discipled by you. You're going to kill it this morning. That's what diversity does for you. Is it allows you to get in places where normally you wouldn't expect yourself to go and to be. And here this 19, 20-year-old kid is. Doesn't look like me. Not the same color is embracing that we're different and is encouraging me. That's great. That's great. And so we're going to talk about that 
a little bit today. And so let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 through 23. It's where our scripture text is going to come from. Paul says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much, God, for being such an amazing God, for allowing us to embrace diversity. I thank you, God, that when we look at the kingdom of heaven, God, we're going to see people from all different backgrounds. And we can see that in the disciples that you called with you. And so we ask that you would bless us today, that you would allow us to hear your word today. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. So we have here in chapter 9, Paul is actually defending two issues. He's actually defending them to the Corinthian church, the actual church that he planted actually himself. And so the Corinthians want to know, Paul, why do you behave the way that you behave when you don't eat meat? And also, whenever you come to us, why do you choose not to take money like all the other apostles and all the other ministers and all the other teachers come to us? Why don't you do any of this? Paul also has to defend the fact that he's an apostle and he's uh, uh, in his ministry. But he's also trying to uphold the principle that he actually started in chapter 8. When we go look at chapter 8 and verse 13, I'm going to read it for you as a matter of fact. It says this, it says, um, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. And then in verse nine, or verse nine, chapter 9, verse 1, he says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? I like how Paul kind of threw a jab at him a little bit. It's like, look, you're coming to me wondering why. I Listen, first of all, I'm trying to save you money. And you keep your own food, and you're trying to argue, like, like why don't I take your money? Like, like, you should be grateful that I came to you because if I would have come to you, you wouldn't know Jesus anyway. And so he's defending these things with the church that, that he planted. And so Paul doesn't take money uh, because in this day, uh, uh, whenever, uh, um, not saying that it's bad to do so because uh, it's just not bad to do so. But um, Paul went in there without taking money or without eating food because he didn't want people to stumble. For one, he said, listen, if, if eating meat causes is a sin to somebody, why am I going to eat meat in front of them to cause them to fall? Because you see me as being a Christian, as being a disciple, as being a lover of Jesus, but you think that this is a sin for you, so I don't think that it's wrong, but I'm not going to do it for the sake of you. I think of yourself. I, I'm going to think of you more than I do myself. And so I don't take money for you because at this time there was these Teachers that actually went into those days, they were actually called wisdom teachers. I don't know if you, if you heard of them before, but wisdom teachers actually uh, are portrayed to have a whole lot of wisdom and a whole lot of knowledge. And so whenever they went in the town, they studied the town. They learned what the town needed. And so they went in there and act like that they knew more than what they actually knew. 
And so they're teaching people, giving them wisdom and giving them knowledge. And so they would give them just enough. But they say, hey, listen, if you want more of this wisdom or more of this knowledge, you've got to come off some money. You've got to pay me for the rest of this. And so what it did is those who actually had money, they would actually pay the money to go and get more wisdom. But it actually ostracized those people who didn't have money. And so what Paul is saying, he's saying, listen, he's saying, I'm not going to have you to give me money so that way you think, for one, that you have more access to me than anybody else. And then two, I don't want you thinking just because you paid money to get more of this gospel that now you have more access to God than anybody else does. Therefore, I'm not going to do it. And so he had to lay that background, and did they get it? No, they didn't get it. Still further on in, in, down in Corinthians, he still had to defend his apostleship. They're like, look, you're not really an apostle. If you was an apostle, you would have you really seen Jesus, and you would do the norm. The standard is that people will come in, and even when Peter comes, Peter even brought his wife. Like, why don't you bring a wife? Paul's like, hold on. First of all, I'm not married. But if I was married, and if I did want to do this, I would bring my wife because I think that we, 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 we could get the same things that they do. I just choose not to do that. And so the first thing that, that Paul is trying to tell us to do, he's saying that being a servant of God, servants give up their rights. Servants give up their rights. That's my first point. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 says this. Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Paul is saying this. He's saying, rather than accept the privileges and the rights that I know that I can have, I choose to not take advantage of it for the betterment of, of, of other people. He gave up his rights for the betterment of others. And so I, I believe that Paul would probably tell us the same thing. Listen, don't be so puffed up that you think you're better than anybody else. Don't think that you've been saved for so long that you forget where God has brought you from. It's our responsibility to go to the people and to bring them in to know Jesus. But a lot of the times, it seems like that as a church, as a people, we expect the people to come to us. But that's not the command that Jesus gave us. Jesus told us to go. He didn't say, hey, you go to the church. That's not what he said. He told us to go to the people and bring them to the church. And so Paul is saying, listen, you got to give up your rights. As servants of Jesus, we have to learn to follow his example. In Matthew 20, verses 24 to 28, he's telling the disciples the story of, of the Gentiles exercising their rights uh, to lord it over people. And then he goes and tells the disciples, he says, but you don't do that. A servant must make the choice to give up their rights to serve one another. I'm going to say that again. A servant must give up their rights to serve one another. And then at the bottom of that text, Jesus says this. He says, the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. And so it's, 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 it's kind of difficult for some of us to give up our rights. Because certain things for me is permissible to do. Like, it's, it's not a sin. But what we have to listen and we have to understand is if you're doing something that causes somebody to stumble... We should have enough sense, and we should love them and God enough to know that, hey, I'm not going to do this. I told, not necessarily a story, but, but I, I said in the first service that I choose not to do things in public that I believe that Scripture 
is completely okay with. It doesn't say that, that, that I can't do it. And I want you guys to hear what I am saying. Don't, I don't want y'all to say, man, John is going out there wilding out. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is there's just some things that I choose to not do in public. Because I know if people are there and they know me, I have the potential of causing them to stumble. So what I do is this thing that I would love to do, and I believe that it's permissible for me to do, I don't do that for the sake of others. And so how much better would our world be if we are very conscious of what we do in public? If we are, now I'm not telling you to be fake. Because if you know me and you know this is how I am here, if you come to my house, you know that, listen, I'm going to give you the same energy, the same love if you're at my house as I am here. I'm not going to fake it. I'm going to be who I am. And if you don't like that, then sorry. I can't do anything about that. But what I will do is I will make sure that I don't cause you to stumble. If you come over to my house, I will make sure that if watching the Dallas Cowboys is a sin to you, Look, I, I, I just turned the TV off, but I will DVR it. <laughs> After you leave, I will watch it. Okay? So we got to make sure that we're doing things for the betterment of other people. And, and, and one thing that I also want us to understand is that strength actually lies in a place of knowing that we have a right to do something, but we choose not to do it for the sake of others. Th that shows true strength. Str strength lies in the place of knowing that we have a right to do something, but we choose not to give it or not to do it for the sake of others. We make a choice to prefer others' interests above ourselves. Just because I can do something doesn't make me strong or no, no, I'm just going to do what I want to do. You guys ever been in those kind of, kind of fights before, maybe in those kind of relationships to where someone's like, well, I don't know about you doing that. And then you kind of clap back at them, right? And you're like, well, hold on. Well, I'm my own person. I'm going to do whatever I want to do because I'm me. You do you and I do me. You guys ever did that or heard, heard that before? And so Paul's telling us, no, don't do that. That's going to cause somebody to walk away from the faith or to not accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so it doesn't take strength for me to clap back and say, hold on. You do what you want to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. But it does take a sense of strength for me to say, uh, okay, for the sake of you and for the sake of your soul and what you think, I'm going to choose not to do that. It takes an act of strength for you to do that. And so Paul actually says, he says, look, he says, I'm free to do what I want to do. But when we give up our rights to serve others, we're making ourselves slaves to the conscience of others. Now, some of us heard the word slaves. We're like, hold on. No, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. Listen, this is what slaves in this context actually means. It means that out of my own volition, I've made the choice to do this for you. It's not something forced. And so that's why whenever, whenever back in the day, whenever you see bond servants in the Bible, it's somebody going to a person saying, listen, I will serve you out of my own volition, out of my own understanding. If you take care of me and my family, I won't ask you for money. Just give me food to eat. Give me a place to live. Make sure my kids are taken care of and we're all good. I'll do this for such and such time. So that's what it means when it talks about I'm making myself a slave to the conscience of others. I'm making myself a bond servant 
to the conscience of others. This, this happens out of my own volition, out of my own understanding. Uh, you not saying, hey, you need to do this, but it's me saying that, hey, I need to do this because I believe that if I do this, that you have a better access and you need to know who Jesus is a lot more. And so this is the second thing. Like, like, like John, like, how can we make all of this stuff happen? Well, Paul lays out a plan for us, so we actually have to follow Paul's methods. That's my second point, is we have to follow Paul's methods. In 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 20 and 22, he says this. He says, and I want you guys to pick up on a key word that I express quite a bit. He says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. So the theologian N.T. Wright, he has this to say about this specific text. He says, this statement has sometimes been understood as though it meant that Paul was a mere pragmatist, a spin doctor, twisting his message this way and that to suit different audiences. That's not what he's saying. The message remains constant. It is the messenger who must swallow his pride, who must give up his rights, who must change his freedom into slavery. Woe be tied or woe be to those who trim the message so that they don't have to trim themselves. So before we are deciding that we want to give a word to somebody else, first we need to make sure that the word we're trying to give to somebody else, we've first given it to ourselves. Because then and only then are we able to really speak truly and wholly in somebody's life if we've taken on this word ourselves. Now, you may have noticed that, that, that I expressed one word almost in this whole entire passage of Scripture that I just read, and the word is as, A-S, as. As here is actually used as a conjunction, and, and it's used to indicate by comparison the way that something happens or is done. And for some of us, you're probably like, look, I still don't know what that means. For, for some of us older people, I, I'm, I'm going to take you back just a little bit to a cartoon that I'm pretty sure that some of us watched. Some of you younger may have watched it as well. Schoolhouse Rock. Yeah, everybody's like, yeah, buddy, I remember that. And listen, I, I can sing a little bit, but my voice is messed up. Okay, my wife was like, don't, don't tell that lie. You, you really can't sing. But I'm going to sing this thing anyway because as soon as I sing it, I promise you guys are probably going to catch up. Schoolhouse Rock, when it's talking about conjunctions, it says this. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Hooking up words and phrases and clauses. Y'all, yeah, see, look, some of y'all know it because you'll say, I took you back. You're like, oh, man, those were the good old days. So what Paul is saying here is he's saying that I'm using this, this, this word as, as a conjunction because I'm trying to hook some things together. What he's saying, he's saying, listen, to the Jew, although not being a Jew, I became as a Jew, he just hooked that thing together so that I might win that Jew for Jesus. And so that's what some of us have to do. Listen, I know that some people may not be in, 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 your, in, in your social groups. Some people may not be in your family. Some people may not 
look like you. But we, what we have to learn to do is we have to learn to lower ourselves to meet people where they are so that we can hook up that as so that way they can meet Jesus. It's easy for me not to be around people who don't look like me. It's easy for me not to be around people that don't think like me. It's, it's easy to not be around people who don't like Dallas Cowboys. That, that's easy for me. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm, totally, I'm totally kidding there. But we have to make sure that we are putting ourselves in places to where we are able to include everyone into the family of God. And so what Paul understood is Paul understood that he had to influence culture by meeting people where they were at, not by doing what they did. And that's what we do is, is we don't do the stuff that people do, but we also don't shun them away just because maybe you go to the club every day. Or maybe you still have a tendency of getting drunk quite a bit. Or, or maybe you, every now and again, you have these words that will slip out of your mouth. We don't disinclude them just because it's something that maybe you don't agree with because there's a lot of things that we don't agree with that is not right. There's a lot of things that we don't agree with that is not biblical. There's a lot of things that we don't agree with that we try to shoulder and put on people out of the basis of our preferences. Servants learn to give up their preferences. In other words, Paul knew that it was important to not give in to the culture, but to adapt, to adjust, or to modify our stance. Listen, as Christians, one thing that we do well is we love, sometimes we love, some of us, we love to speak Christianese. We do. We, we, we love to speak Christianese. Like, like everything out of our mouth is Christianese. And whenever we do that, we can't relate to the other people. They're going to look at you and they're going to say, hold on, like, Look, I'm good. Uh, apparently, we don't got nothing in common, and uh, I can't speak Christianese. And so it makes them feel as if they, are, they can't be a part of your circle. And so, listen, we have to, now I'm not telling you that if you know that somebody's got the mouth of a sailor, I'm not telling them that you got to go and bleep, bleep, bleep every word just to try. No, that's not what we do. But what we do is, is, is we're able to allow them to come into our circle, and eventually we disciple them into a relationship with Jesus at their own time. But we don't change them. It's the Holy Spirit's job to change them. And so we got to be really careful on expecting people to change based off of what I tell you. It's not based off of what we tell them. It's based off of the work and the Holy Spirit has inside of their lives. And so Romans 12 and 16 tells me this. This is a good news translation. It says, have the same concern for everyone. Have the same concern for everyone. Say everyone. What does everyone mean? Everybody. Everyone. Have the same concern for everyone. So what that's telling me is, listen, just because you have some kind of status or you're here, it's like I shouldn't treat you any better than somebody who doesn't have a place to live on the street. If anything, I should treat them a little better. Because Jesus is no respecter of person. And we should be the same way, but a lot of times we, we, we want to respect people based off of where they're at in life and based off of what you have and what you don't have. So we think I should spend more time with this person and less time with that person. That's not the gospel. 
Listen, Jesus spent time with everybody, with sinners, with those who, who, who knew the Scripture. He spent time with everybody. And so it should be our responsibility to also spend time with everybody. Have the same concern for everyone. Do not be proud, but accept humble duties. Do not think of yourselves as wise. And so what we have to do is we have to remain relationally inclusive, but theologically exclusive. John, what in the world does that mean? Inclusive meaning this and that. We will be in a relationship with people from all walks of life. We will accept you and bring you into our family from all walks of life. It doesn't matter what you look like, what you smell like, what you've done last night. Listen, I I would love for somebody who just came off the streets to come in this church and sit in the back or to sit in the front and somebody go and put their arm around them and say, listen, I don't care where you've been. I'm going to love you with the love of Jesus. Some of us are scared to do that because now we're saved and we're dignified, right? Because Jesus has brought me from a place and now I can't go back to that. I can't go and touch the very people that Jesus, when he touched you, you was in the same place. That's not being a diverse culture. So exclusive meaning theologically we believe in Jesus and his words like we have no other gods. Like, relationally, we're going to bring you in. But you start bringing any other false gospel and false gods, we're going to say, hold up. <laughs> hold on a minute. Like, like, like we're not going to deal with that because either we're going to believe the gospel and we're going to believe the word of God or we're not. That's the only two choices. You either believe it or you don't. And we have to be wise enough. We have to have so much Jesus in us that we are not shaken when people come and bring different, different theologies to you because they will. We have to learn to defend our faith lovingly not saying, that, oh, no, you're so wrong. That's, that's not what defending the faith means. Defending the faith means you just have a simple conversation. And I sit with you and understand why you think like you, like you think. And you sit with me and understand why I think like I think. And then we're going to ask God to change whosoever heart needs to be changed. Amen? Amen. And so here at Grace Point Church, we absolutely embrace diversity. As a matter of fact, our vision is reaching people and building community. And our values is diversity devotion, discipleship. So when it comes to, by the way, if you've been a member of Grace One Church for any, any time, you, make, you need, need to know those. All right? You need to know our vision and you need to know our values. So diversity, we are a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church. What does that mean? When people come in here, they're going to get a good helping of stew. You're going to get some good old gumbo when you come in here. We're not just going to have ribeye steak. You're going to get a plethora of a whole lot of stuff in here. And that's what our city looks like. If you remember the stats from our city, listen, there's a lot of, 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 of everything here, and we have to learn to embrace that. And so in order to do that, how do we do that, Pastor John, is there's a responsibility that we have to fulfill. And that's my last point is we do this to fulfill a responsibility. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9 and 23, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. We do it all to fulfill a responsibility as given in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And it says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Did he say of one nation? He said all nations. I love what Pastor says. What does all mean in English? What does all mean in Hebrew? What does all mean in the Greek? It means all, everybody, everybody. Go and make disciples of all nations. It doesn't just mean that we need to stay here in Texas, right? Instead of, of all nations, although we want to evangelize and disciple Texas well, Abilene, Texas well, our church well, we also want to make sure that we're getting out of the confines of just one specific area and we're doing what God calls us to do. Listen, we're part of a larger body called Every Nation. And in Every Nation, we believe in definitely going on mission trips. And sometimes we can't go, but I love what Pastor Rich always says. We may not always be able to go, but we can always help sin. And so whenever we're doing that, we're embracing diversity because we are going to different cultures. And so it says, has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Friends, this can only be done if we are willing to go to those who don't think like us who don't act like us and look different than us in order that we may reach them for the sake of the gospel. And I know for some of us, we probably say, listen, John, you don't know how I grew up. Like it was ingrained in me to stick with my own kind. It was ingrained in me that if they're not in a specific socioeconomic group, that I can't be with them. It, it, it was it was ingrained so much into me that if I lived on the east side of the tracks that I can't go to the west side of the tracks because we have nothing in common. That's what culture and society will tell you. But Jesus says something different. Matter of fact, Jesus modeled something different. Jesus' model was, listen, I don't care who you are. If you want to come to me, come. I'll accept you. Our model should be, I don't care who you are or where you come from. If you want to come to know Jesus, let us walk together. Let me show you what Jesus has done for my life. Let me show you. And we don't just do it with mere words. But it's our responsibility if we are embracing a diverse city and a diverse culture. And if we are believing what Jesus says about diversity, then not only saying it out of our mouth, but it, re it, it requires a corresponding action. And that means that I have to lend out my hand for you. It meant something special to me by receiving that text message this morning. Connors are 19, 20-year-old white kid. Pretty boy-looking guy. Nice hair. And we come from two totally different worlds. But we've connected. And the basis of our connection is that we both love Jesus. And in Jesus, there is no respecter of person. And so I would love for us, our Grace Point Church family, to embrace being diverse, to embrace living in a diverse city, to embrace living in 
a diverse, a diverse world. I, I, I would love for us to embrace that. Why do I do that? Because that's the model that Jesus has set for us in the command that he's given. And if I can't go to somebody who doesn't look like me, somebody who doesn't believe in the same things that I believe, if I can't go to them, then I'm not living out the gospel. And I have to check my heart. Is Jesus really living in me or is he not? Am I just putting on a facade? Do I put on my mask whenever I go to church or because I know that certain people are going to be there and then as soon as we leave, I take it off and never talk to them ever again? If I see two people that's hurting in the road and one looks like me and the other doesn't, which one will I choose to go to? Do I stand up for the rights of those who don't look like me? Am I generous to everybody with my kindness and with my love and with my respect and reverence of everyone? Am I generous with that? So what will we do with that? How are we going to respond to this kind of message? I take it personal. I take it personal when people feel that they can't go to another people group because they don't look like them. And so we should take it personal as well. And so Jesus, the night before he was betrayed, he had his disciples gathered around him, his diverse group of people. He had tax collectors and he had liars. He had thieves. He had doubters. He had a doctor. He spent time with attorneys. He spent time with people who thought that they knew the gospel but really didn't. He spent time with people who didn't know the gospel who really thought they did. He spent time with everybody. But this specific time, he was sitting around the table. And he was telling his disciples, he said, listen, this is the last meal that I'm going to have with you until I come back for my people again. He said, and I want you to understand something. We're supposed to love each other as Christ loved us. And we're supposed to love our neighbors. That's the gospel message. And he was sitting there and he took the bread and everybody had a piece because everybody's invited to his table. He took the bread knowing that there's people there who has lied on him, people there who, who, who was going to betray him, people there who was once thieves. And he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you.
said, as often as you do this, as often as you eat this bread, do this in remembrance of me. Let us take the bread together. And likewise, Jesus took the cup, the wine, the juice. We have, we have juice, right? We have juice. And he says, this represents my blood, which is shed for you. Scripture tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. He says, this represents the blood, which I freely gave up for you. All people groups, doesn't matter who you are. I did this for you. As often as you take this cup, do this in remembrance of me. Let us drink the cup together. And Scripture says that as often as you do this, as you take this bread and you take this cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. And so I never want you to forget that something had to be given for you. And it didn't come at a small price. It came by somebody willingly giving his life for you. And before I close us, maybe there's somebody here who's saying, listen, John, I, I need that in my life. I've never accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've played around with it, but I need to stop playing around. Because I, I'm just not for sure that if something happened to me and I died right now, I, I really don't know where I would go. Listen, we want to help you with that. And so I'm going to ask everybody to do me just, do me just one thing. Say, so everybody, just bow your heads and close your eyes. And listen, I'm not going to have you come forward. I'm going to pray for you as you're sitting right there in your seat. That if that's you, just raise your hand. I'm going to pray a prayer of salvation with you. If that's you, just raise your hand. Maybe you're saying, listen, John, I, I'm not living totally like I should. And I just want to repent and turn and get back in right standing with Christ. And I just need you to pray for me. If that's you, just please raise your hand. Thank you. I see you. Thank you. I see you. And so I just want to pray. We just, I see you. And we just want to agree with you. And so, Father, we thank you so much for those who have decided to step out there on faith and say, listen, Lord. I need to repent from my ways. And I need to come back to living for you totally. And so we pray now in the name of Jesus, God, that all condemnation would be removed now and that they would fully embrace the forgiveness that you give them. Father, would you allow like-minded believers to walk alongside them to hold their hands up when they get weak and to look at them directly in their face and say, hey, look, sister, brother, I got you. We're going to walk this thing out together. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. Listen, family, we thank you so much for being here today. For our first-time guests, if you filled out that first-time guest card, 
<clears throat> I'll meet you back in room number seven. It's our last door on the left as you come down this hallway. Uh, Miss Tommy Lane will place a gift in your hand, and we'll say thank you so much for being here. Uh, we count it a privilege and an honor, and we definitely don't think that it's just something that everybody should. I would love everybody to come to Grace Point, but the reality is not everybody's going to come to Grace Point. So if you choose to come back, we'll be here and embrace you with open arms. If you don't, please get in a Bible teaching church to where you can grow. And so we love you. We adore you. We thank you so much for everything that you pour into our families. We've got to embrace diversity. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.